Good evening and welcome to this week's worldwide broadcast of The Joyner Report. Now here's your host, Angela Joyner. Hello and welcome to another Friday night of The Joyner Report at WPRN-FM New Orleans and at ParanormalRadioNetwork.com. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween weekend. Uh, stay safe on the streets with those ghosts and goblins. I've seen a few out and about around here. You never know what uh, what night's kids are going to trick-or-treat on now, so you've got to be prepared. Um, I wanted to uh, also send a big shout-out to David and Dee Andrew. They are tucked away in a resort celebrating five years of marriage today. So happy anniversary to David and Dee. Uh, now I have a personal request. Um, please send healing energy, prayers, or thoughts to my family. My dad seems to have had a light stroke about three weeks ago that affected his vision. And currently my mom is in the hospital with pneumonia and strep throat. And I just learned that my niece, who is expecting her first baby in a couple of three weeks or so, um, might be suffering from preeclampsia, and she's been put on total bed rest. So... You know what they say, when it rains, it pours, and yes, sometimes it does. But if you could do that for us, I sure would appreciate it. Well, uh, on with uh, tonight's Joiner Report. Uh, my guest tonight is Kim Carlsberg, who authored Beyond My Wildest Dreams, Diary of a UFO Abductee, and co-authored with Daryl Anka, Contact Cards and Extraterrestrial System, she has just she, <laughs> divination she, system. Divination system. She has uh, just begun sales of her new book, The Art of Close Encounters, which I'm real excited about. Um, I'm going to put that one on my Christmas list. And uh, you know, the release of Kim's first book, Beyond My Wildest Dreams, uh, I think it was almost. Uh, well, it was between 15 and 20 years ago, I suppose, and it was really a milestone in contact literature. Uh, it was uh, very personally written, her personal accounts from diary entries she had made as she endured a sudden and inexplicable relationship with non-human entities. And uh, that took her on a whole journey in itself. And uh, she, over these years, has collected stories and artwork and different things, people that contacted her that, that felt oh, finally, here's someone else that uh, knows what we're going through or, or understands, and, and they began contacting her. And uh, just for peace of mind, I would think, to have somebody to share with that wouldn't think that um, they were crazy. So uh, her career has been in advertising, and uh, she's been a portrait photographer. Uh, God, the many things she's done, it's just incredible. I just think it's so neat that she was a camera person on um, on Baywatch. Um, I'm sure you all remember that show and how popular it was. And uh, her work has appeared in uh, Rolling Stone, TV Guide, and Time. And, uh, I mean, it's just, just such a neat, neat thing. I mean, she's really well-known and really well-respected in her in her field. So I'd like to welcome Kim Carlsberg. How are you tonight? I'm very good, and what an honor to be on the air with you. Well, thank <laughs> <So>. you. 
Yeah, I have a lot of respect for you too. You've done, you've done your part and and your share in trying to, you know, get the truth out there and suffer the consequences for doing so. So, um, well, it is a journey, are, isn't it? Same boat. It's sure. a journey, and uh, I can't say it's all been good, but it certainly hadn't all been bad. Now I know that uh, uh, you. Uh, wrote that first book um, using your diary entries, and then you left the field for a while. You want to tell us why? Uh, it was just too overwhelming. You know, what happened was I started having experiences, conscious experiences in about 1988, and I kept a diary, and, uh, you know, I, I kept it up to date for about seven years. And I did that. To, as my research to try to figure out what was going on, and then when I realized I had the answer, when I when I knew what was happening, why it was happening, how it was happening, and that I could make it stop, I decided it was time to make it stop. Um, I I wrote my I was on so many TV shows and radio shows at the time because there were so few people that were willing to talk about it. And I, I talked and talked and talked, and, and I was talked out. So I decided that I would write my book, Beyond My Wildest Dreams, and just let that speak for me. Mm-hmm. So I did. I put the book out there, and, um, it, I, you know, it was, it was odd. It was optioned by TriStar for, you know, a major motion picture, and then we were shut down in the beginning of the production, and, and I don't know why. But um, the book had some very odd things happen. Um, it had tons of, uh, you know, re- review requests. And then when the book hit the shelves, there was something wrong with the cover, and it had to be pulled off the shelves, and it went back out, you know, a month later. So the, the, the sizzle was gone by the time the book really hit the market. And um, it, didn't, it didn't hit a lot of people, but the people that it did get, get to – uh, it, it made quite a difference in their lives, you know, it was other abductees, and I have a box full of just, you know, heartwarming letters, 10 pages long, handwritten letters, you know, thanking me for uh, letting them know that they weren't alone. So um, I just, you know, it, it got to be too much, and I wanted to live a normal life again. So I went right. away and tried to live a normal life, and uh and I, you know, I tell people once you know about the uh, the UFO and alien phenomenon as as well as I know it, it's it's difficult. You know, you can pretend to be a normal person and live in a normal world, but you're never normal, and the world around you is never normal like it is to other people. So um, I I stayed away, and I always kept this idea of the art of close encounters. Uh, in the back of my head, because what I had done is my first book, Down My Wildest Dreams, because I'm a photographer and I'm visual, um, I had the I had my best friend illustrate the diary entries for me. So it was an illustrated book. It was an art book, and people loved that. And so I thought I would put out a request at the end of that book to invite other people who had had experiences. Uh, to submit their experiences to me along with a piece of art, and it would be a compilation book. So um, I, I received probably, you know, maybe 30 or, 30 or 40 images and stories. Uh, it was very unsophisticated back then because we didn't have the Internet. Um, you know, we didn't have the same type of art. 
like I said, the, the stories that I received were handwritten. Most people, you know, I wrote my book on a four, I think it was a four megabyte Macintosh computer that was basically <laughs> a black and white uh, word processor. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was difficult to, to get the communication back and forth. But I, I got, I had about 30 or 40 stories and I put them in a book and I dropped out. I'm not sorry, a box, put them in a box, stored them away. And I dropped out for 15 years. And then um, I went on to, uh, finally got the courage to go on to Facebook about a year ago. And I didn't mention anything about, you know, Beyond My Wildest Dreams or my, my account. And people knew who I, I was right away. So I started getting beautiful letters, thank you letters. And I said, okay, it's me, I'm here, I'm back. And then when I realized how uh, close this wonderful thing called Facebook and the Internet made it so possible to be in contact with other people like me, um, I thought, well, this is, this is what, why I've waited so long. It would have been pretty impossible to do this book had it not been for the Internet and Facebook. So I put a request out over Facebook, and I told people I'm ready to finish this book now. And... Uh, it came together, and I finally got the first copy in my hand yesterday. Oh, yeah! Absolutely, yeah! It's so beautiful. It's it's been so hard, and and it's going to be so rewarding. So, 350 well, pages. And for the list, stories. for the listeners that don't know, um, Kim and I both have Facebook accounts, and and that's really how we met each other, and. Um, mm-hmm. You should uh, go and uh, send Kim a friend request and just look at all of her beautiful photos and some of the uh, illustrations from uh, The Art of Close Encounters is also on her page, and they're really beautiful, too. I noticed, uh, Kim, that it looks like you did a lot of work um, illustrating for other people also. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny. You, you, um, I'm not an illustrator by by trade. I'm a photographer, and I had so many wonderful stories come in that you know people weren't artists. They did. There was no art to go with it. And I said, and I said, well, you know, I what do I do with these stories? I sat down one day and I said, maybe I can do something in Photoshop that would be representative of their story. And um, you know, you you use the tools that you have. So uh, I had my photographs, and I had Photoshop, and I had things that I could cut and paste together and and work around. And um, I think I did maybe 20 pieces out of the book out of 150, and they came out surprisingly well. I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the process a lot, and I thought, boy, I could get into this if I had more time. Oh, I thought, I I can't believe you're new at that, because I thought you did a great job. Well, thank you. Um, you know, a, very an artist is a well. I I appreciate that. Well, you know, it, it, the book is beautiful, and the artwork by the other 130 contributors is absolutely stunning. Um, you know, so that I could even have my art compared to theirs is, you know, it, it's a compliment. So. Well, now you said there's 150 stories and so 150 illustrations in this coffee table size book. Um, mm-hmm. Do uh, that w- that weighs that weighs three and a half pounds. 
and it's only a nine and a half by eight. So oh, it goodness. is high quality. It's, I know. I couldn't believe it. I was trying to figure out the postage for the book. And so I had to, I weighed the book and it's three and a half pounds. I'm telling people just get a couple of them and you can use them for weights and work out. But, um, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's a high quality book and, you know, that's, it, the, the paperweight is fine art quality paperweight and, uh, it's, it turned out wonderful. Um, it was very, very difficult to get the printer to work with me on black pages, but the subject matter just absolutely called for it. So um, I fought really f- hard for the uh, black pages, and, and it paid off. So the book is is beyond my wildest dreams. Oh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, with uh, 150 different stories, that should mm-hmm. make it an easy read for, for most people. And um, do you have any uh, favorite stories that are in the book that you could share with us? Oh, my goodness. They're, that is such a difficult question. They're all my favorite stories because they're all unique, and they all contribute to the, to the entire story that I'm trying to tell. Um, I have, uh, you know, there are images that are, hit me particularly hard, um, Personally, uh, not that, that any story is better or worse than the other, but you know, um, anyone who's—I ha- I really believe that any, anyone who's had an experience is going to find their experience in this book or something similar. Um, the, my very first abduction—I was taken into my first conscious abduction. I was taken to, into a huge room that were, that was filled with uh, tables, and these tables. Uh, were occupied by human beings that were unconscious. And there were hundreds of little uh, gray aliens running around, and I've coined them the anorexic Pillsbury Doughboys, doing things to these people on these tables. And I, um, that was the the beginning of the changing of my life, this room, this first room that I was taken into, and I will never forget it. And I have never seen uh, a representation of that room anywhere. and never even thought about it, never even considered that anybody would try to illustrate this room. Um, you know, there were, uh, so I'm at the end of the book. I'm at 150 stories and ready to close down the book. And an image came to me over the Internet. And it, uh, the artist's name is Chuck Croma. He's out of Denver. And he... It, He's a an oil painter, and this image was probably 25% finished, and it just it absolutely blew my mind. And I just noticed I put it I put it up on the internet um, on Facebook a couple days ago, and I just noticed that you saw that image. Didn't I you? did. Isn't it mind blowing? Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so this image is of this huge round room with all of these women laying on their backs having procedures done by these gray aliens and these mantis beings. And um, it it is this man's personal experience where he was abducted, taken through a hallway by what he knows to be his hybrid son. His hybrid son points to um, a bank of incubation tanks or, 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 you know, water tanks. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a dark hallway, and as his hybrid son points to one of these tanks, it lights up. And his son says to him, you're part of something very important. And, and 
I'm your son, and this is also your son. And so they continue to walk down this hallway, and he and he walks through these two double doors, and um, this uh, Chuck walks up onto this balcony that opens up into this round room. So it was it was 25% done. I I emailed him. I said, "That's it. When is this going to be finished?" And of course, you know, he's uh, I believe he's a career artist, but we're all busy and. An oil painting you can't do overnight. Uh, the detail in this image is is just miraculous. I, I I don't know how he did it, but he would give me, you know, he'd say, okay, I'm working on it, I'm working on it, and I would get back to him, and I would say the book's not going to get published without this image. You better get it to me. So I bothered him for months, and he got it finished, and it's in the book, and I just I know everyone who has been in this room will have the same reaction I did. I'm my you know, my chin hit the floor. And I'm very, very grateful for the the hard work that he put into creating that image. So And it was overwhelming story. it must have been overwhelming for you to see that and know somebody else had been where you had been, for sure. Yes. And I hear these stories from women a lot. They they know about the hybridization process. They know that the greys are doing uh, genetic um, manipulation, experimentation, upgrading, whatever you want to call it, creating hybrid races. And uh, men typically don't get laid out onto these tables because they're not having, uh, you know, excuse me, they're not having <laughs> uh, it's a difficult subject to talk about, but <laughs> genetic things... Genetic thing is done to them. They, you know, they don't have the same things done. So uh -huh. anyway, the the end. So the end of the story is his son takes him by the arm and he said, um, "Chuck, I hope not to embarrass you, but you wrote it in the book. So here it goes." He said, "I was aroused by the touch of my hybrid son," and he said, "And as as we turned around, he pushed me through a door," and he said, "And I realized that I was being escorted into the sperm collection room." Hmm. So. Yes. So it's a very it's a very powerful image. It's a very powerful story, and what makes it special is it's coming from uh, the male perspective, which I've never heard before. That is interesting. Well, you know, one thing about your story that uh, has always sort of intrigued me is that you said, or you have said, and tell me if I'm wrong, but. Uh, you taught yourself to maintain consciousness during your abduction experiences. Can you tell us how you taught yourself to do that? I will tell you, and Joe Montaldo will tell you that I'm crazy. <laughs> well, we tell him he's crazy all the time. <laughs> We've had a little ongoing spat about this, but um, what happened was I realized that that during the experiences, they, they have many different ways of getting you to forget. Um, I, I've felt drugs used on me that I'm, sh I'm sure there's mind control, post-hypnotic suggestion, whatever you want to call it, that they, they don't want us remember the, to remember the experiences. So um, when I would be with them, I would tell myself, I'm going to remember this, I'm going to remember this, I'm going to remember this. And eventually my subconscious mind got it. And I did start remembering. I would say to myself, when I put my feet on the floor of my bedroom, when I wake up in the morning, I am going to remember this and write this down. 
And so that's how it started to happen. I just started becoming uh, more and more conscious during the, the experiences until, um, and I just, I tell people just our, our consciousness was created for this 3D um, reality. And the truth is um, the abduction scenario for me was not from one physical place to another. It was from one, all I can say is one dimension to another. You know, this is a, a multi-dimensional universe, and, you know, the aliens, they come through the walls because they're shipping from one dimension to the other. So when we're taken there, that's another reason we can't remember it, or it feels like a dream, because we're being moved from um, our native dimension of reality to an alien one. And so we have trouble understanding it, and it seems nonlinear at times, you know. So um, I taught myself to be conscious. And when I learned how to be conscious uh, during almost every experience, I said, okay, now, now I'm going to allow this to continue because if I can teach myself to, to be conscious, I could probably figure out how to make this stop by using the same method. But I wanted it to continue because I wanted to understand the full story. So how did you ever find the, how did you find the courage to let them continue if you thought you could you could stop because weren't you in pain and you were scared I was, to death? I was terrified. My life was upside down. It was physically painful, emotionally traumatic. It was, um, it, it was insanity. But because it was so alien, my, my just natural curiosity took over. It, it, it overrode all the pain. When you're involved in something that bizarre, you know, you want to know what it is and why and why you were chosen, were chosen and why they were doing it. So it took years for me to get the full picture. And when I did get the full picture, I, say, I said, oh, I get it. They're geneticists. I'm, I'm part of their genetic uh, manipulation. They're, they're, you know, they say it's generational, they say, the researchers, other abductees. Um, usually say they're one of their parents have gone through it or their children are going through it or right. their grandchildren are going through it. So, um, you know, it's probably generational. And uh, I just, you know, once I figured out I had contributed enough and uh, I could make it stop, I did. But I just had to, I just had to know. So well, I put up so you, your ultimate decision was just that it was a genetic program for them. That's what you figured out? Yes. yes. And do you um, have what, other family members that have been taken that you know of? Not that I know of. My father died when I was 13. And my mother um, has no recollection, but she, she has a lot of the uh, earmarks of someone who's had contact. Um, most contactees, I think, just, just by virtue of the fact that the aliens are telepathic and when you're with them, you automatically use telepathy. I think it activates um, a part of our consciousness or our brain that we normally don't use, and that activates other abilities. So um, I have healing abilities, you know, Reiki abilities. Um, I have precognition. My mother has all of that, but she has no conscious memory of uh, being abducted. And, you know, she's 87 years old, so there's probably a lot she can't remember anyway. God bless her. She now, did tell me a story, but, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. 
She told you why? Um, but um, she she told me a story about meeting a man in a field once that was a very very odd uh, story that could have been it could have been an abduction, but um, it w- it wasn't a typical gray experience. Uh, but no one else in my family seems to have have any indications that it's happened to them. But I have a very now, small family, so. What What did you say your other abilities are? I missed that. Uh, precognition, um, just uh, knowing when things are going to happen ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, hands-on healing. Uh, I've I've healed quite a few people just by. Uh, having this, you know, energy move through my hands. It's very common. A lot of people have hands-on healing abilities. What have you, who, what, what sort of thing have you healed? What kind um, of Well, when I, when I was working on the set of Baywatch, it's interesting when you have an ability like that, it's just a, it's just a natural thing. And I, I don't think much about it. I, there was a point where I really developed it and used it a lot, but I stopped doing that because life took me in another direction, and I really liked my photography, and I didn't want to become a healer. Um, I wanted to be a photographer. So, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. But I'd be on the set of A-Watch, and I'd walk up to somebody on the set, and my hands would automatically... If, you know, they were family. I worked on Baywatch for five years, and it's a small crew, and, you know, you work with somebody every single day, and they're all like family to me, so they don't mind if I I put my hands on them, you know. So Mm -hmm. I'd walk up to somebody, walk up to, like, the cameraman, I'd put my hand on the shoulder, go, how are you doing today? And immediately my hand would go to a part of his body or her body where there was a problem, and I knew it. And, And, you know, the cameraman said, well, you know, I'm having lower back problems today. So I put my hand on his lower back for a few minutes, and um, I saw him a few days later, and he said, you know, that pain went away, because I've had that pain my whole life. And he said it went away, and it's been gone for days, and then a few weeks later, uh, you know, it didn't come back, and it just never came back. Wow. Um, I've had, yeah. So it's a very handy thing to have. I, I can use it on my own body. I had, I had a tooth toothache and I went to a dentist and this guy just <laughs> really tore up my mouth and I remember walking out and sitting, sitting down in my car and my hand just went to, to my cheek and I felt all this warm energy moving through my hand and to my tooth and uh, the pain disappeared so I thought oh that's what other people you know feel mm-hmm. when, uh, when so you haven't cancer. done anything like cure cancer or uh any big disease, huh? All these kind no, of aches and pains no. type things? Yeah, no, not that I know of. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, uh-huh. that would be an interesting gift to have. Well, you know, you said that uh, you thought you could make the abduction stop and that you did. Mm-hmm. So have you been yeah. successful all these? Uh, how long has it been since you've been abducted? Um, I haven't been abducted for 15 years. I haven't been abducted since um, I learned how to make it stop. I've had a couple of times that they've tried, uh, but I know the methods to make them go away and to stop them. So they don't, they don't try very often. And when they do, it, it, it just an abduction doesn't occur. And that's only been lately, and that's just, I think it's because I've been so involved with this book and kind of... Um, Have you ever thought about teaching others to do this so they can stop theirs? Well, I put a Facebook 
uh, page together for other people. I explained how I did it, and I asked anyone who's had the same uh, experience to share on my Facebook page, and that's called um, abductionfreezone.com. And there aren't a lot of entries in there, but there, there are enough to prove that other people can and have made abduction stop and all in their own ways. And I really believe it's just a matter of, of you know, mind over matter, it's, you know, your intention. If you want something hard enough and you work hard enough and think enough about it, it can usually come to pass. So, um, yeah, anybody out there who's having experiences and they don't want those experiences, then you have the right to say no. Um, but, you know, this is just one very small aspect of the UFO phenomenon, you know, the gray alien genetic program. There are so many other species out there. And, and my book, um, I try to cover all the different types of species and all the different types of contact. And there are by far more, you know, heartwarming stories than there are uh, terrifying stories. Actually, I don't think there are any terrifying stories. I think there are a few stories that are like mine. You know, people just didn't like the pain and uh, didn't like being taken out of their bed in the middle of the night and having no sleep and being tired the next day, you know, that type of thing. But by and large, you know, the stories in the book are, are pretty positive, and some will just bring you to tears. So, um, like I said, my story is just one, one small story in a very huge universe. Well, I... I read an AOL interview that you did on the net, and you said this book is almost like an encyclopedia because of all the different species. How many species are represented? Do you know? Um, you know what I did? The very first chapter of the book I call Forensic Encounter Art, and I have uh, two very special artists that contributed, um, a female artist, uh, Kassara and a male artist, David W. Chase, and they're both forensic artists. What they do is they go around to people who've had experiences and they try to illustrate um, the the aliens for those people. And so I, there are about 25 images in the front of the book that I think represent a nice cross section of the different alien species that are having contact with us. Um, you know, by all means, I couldn't include every one, but there's an, there's an, I, it can't be a, a full-on encyclopedia, but it is a great reference book for the different species that are here. And then I go on to uh, the different types of sightings. I have, let's see, I think there are about eight or nine chapters in the book. I have sightings, abductions, uh, Dream encounters, because like I said, many times we're taken and people come back and they think it's a dream. So I had to include that. And that's the reason I, I named my first book, Beyond My Wildest Dreams. At first you think it's a dream, but when it happens over and over again, you come to realize that it's not a dream. Um, I have contact encounter art, which are you know wonderful stories of people who have been contacted since they were children and been taught you know on the ships how to be more conscious, uh, you know, cosmic people. <laughs> you know, I was uh, visiting of... with uh, Debbie Jordan Cobble, and she said that at first she thought hers were dreams also, 
But she mm-hmm. realized that she could tell the difference because if it was really just an ordinary dream, that she mm-hmm. would forget it soon after she woke up. But if it was right. an actual abduction, she could remember it throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was that a neat sense. way to, to kind of look at it because I've always wondered, you know, people have told me that, well, um, it it was like a dream, and I'm I'm always kind of in the back of my mind going, then how do you know it wasn't a dream? And so she explained right. that, and that that made sense to me. Right, the fact that she's taken to another dimension, and our consciousness doesn't know how to comprehend that dimension, so it comes across as a dream until you do something about it, until you adapt to it, uh, or, or or until you know possibly the aliens do something to make you more conscious. I know I had an experience where um, before I was fully conscious in all my experiences, I would say to them, why do you do this? Why don't you just let me be conscious? And uh, one night, you know, they came, four of them came through my bedroom door, and, and while they were coming through the door, they said, well, you asked for it. Now you're getting it. Was, you asked for it? Okay. <laughs> they said, you asked for it. You wanted to be conscious. Oh, okay. They normally yeah. Not, they, they, yeah, they, yeah. They normally paralyze you and, and and render you unconscious before they get there because they don't want, they don't want to put up with the fight. So um, this one particular time, they just they allowed me to be conscious. So I didn't have to fight to be conscious. So um, there are a lot of different ways you can become conscious during the experiences. But um, uh, and a lot of people like, uh, for instance, that are not involved in the typical gray genetic program um, have you know, contacts with, you know, the Pleiadians or the Reptilians or uh, everything in between, and they're contacted since, you know, from childhood, and it's not about genetics. It, it's about um, just learning to be, uh, how to bring the earth up a notch so that we can participate in this, you know, larger multiverse of ours and hopefully not destroy the planet before it's too late. Well, these gifts but, of precognition and of healing that you have, were those given to you by the grace, or how, how do you think you, what makes you special? Why do you have those gifts? Well, I don't think I'm special. I think we all have those <laughs> gifts. I think it just takes something uh, extraordinary to activate them, or a belief system. You know, we're not taught about this this. Uh, kind of stuff in, in our Western society. Um, the, the rest of the world, it, it's very common. Um, and when when you believe it and you're taught it as a child and you're raised with spirituality and, and the idea of healing and, and, and telepathy and, and being one and that type of thing, it's, it's, it comes naturally. But, you know, we're so busy with our video games that that's just not a concern of ours. So we're not taught it. We're not taught to... Uh, develop it, um, but I do notice that most people that I, have, that I know that have had contact naturally have these abilities, and I, I believe it's just because being in contact with a higher, higher consciousness type of being activates something in us. I don't know. That's a guess. It could right. come into this world with it, but um, it, it just seems to be too much of a coincidence that people of contact are usually very spiritual and they have these extra abilities. So, and, and, and that could, and if it is generational, then wouldn't that be part of the reason for the continued manipulation of, of human DNA throughout time to 
to make us more enlightened and and uh, more I don't know what the word talented more give us more abilities mm-hmm. as a species. Yeah, I think yeah, that's so. A, I think that's probably uh-huh. possible. I guess you know we'll probably never know for sure. But uh, you you have said that. Uh, your goal in publishing both of those books is to provide mm-hmm. others with validation of their encounter. So can you give us some examples of how your work has uh, empowered ordinary people to tell their extraordinary, deeply personal experiences? Um, sure. This book, is, this book is a great example of that. Um, you know, I tell people when I started this book, I thought it would be like pulling teeth to get people to share these stories because, you know, 15 years ago when I wrote Beyond My Wildest Dreams, people wouldn't talk about this. Uh, you know, I was exiled. Uh, people who had encounters would n- never even speak about it because they, they knew that they would be um, rejected and made fun of and, you know, their lives would be destroyed. Things have changed a lot due to the Internet. Um, you know, people are sharing more information, and, and, you know, if you have a dream and someone like me goes on the radio and says, well, that might not have been a dream, well, that helps those people. That validates their experience. Um, so I know I, I was thinking there are, a, there are a lot of people in the book that wanted to tell their story but didn't know how. Um, didn't have the courage, not that they didn't have the courage, but just were afraid of the repercussions, um, but knew how valuable it was to tell their story. So there were there were a couple of stories where people, you know, came to me and said, well, you know, I, I had this happen. I don't know what's going to happen if I share it, um, you know, and I just said, look, the world needs to know. So what's more important, a little embarrassment, a little rejection, or participating in something that can really make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Because whoever sees this book, it, it's, it's going to have a profound effect on everyone. I, and I, people of contact uh, or who know nothing about it, because it is so visual, it's so powerful, and it's going to, one story in there somewhere is going to grab somebody's attention, and then they're going to get into the book, and it's, and it's going to help to serve uh, to share the information of what's really going on on our on our planet, I don't know if that's answering your question, but right, it is. Yeah. Well, now, 15 years ago, when uh, you wrote Beyond My Wildest Dreams, um, it came at a cost for you. I mean, you. You had some strife there. So, have you overcome that because you're encouraging other people to tell their stories now? Uh, I say this is the the yin and yin and yang, yin and yang of life. Um, it it changed my life entirely, every aspect of my life, and 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 I knew that it would. There's no way, if, you know, 15 years ago, you can come out with a book about, um, you know, being part of a genetic alien experiment and not be, uh, you know, rejected. So, but. I've, I've helped so many people, and I've received so many wonderful thank yous, and I get to live in my own truth. I don't have to go around hiding who I am. 
Um, and, and that in itself, to me, is more healthy than living the life of Riley, you know, living on the beach and having my wonderful career and pretending like um, this is what life really is when I know that life is so much more. And, and I believe that we have been lied to by, by our governments and, and by, for so long that it's just, it's not fair and the story has to be told and the truth has to come out. And it was, and I'm going to do whatever I can do from now on <laughs> to make sure that I can help spread the word. You know, back then, 15 years ago, they were, I was still being used for genetic breeding. That was one of the reasons I wanted out. I'm old enough now that they're not, they don't want me for those purposes anymore, so I'm safe to come back into the UFO community, you know, and I'm safe to talk about the aliens and, and they're telepathic, and if they know I'm talking about them, they're not going to grab me and try to create any more hybrid children from me. So I feel safe, and, and, and I'm going to continue to talk about this because um, you, just, you can't live in a world and, and know all this is going on everywhere all the time around the world people are having contact every day every night and most of the people don't know it how do you walk through life knowing these kinds of things you can't mm -hmm. you can't live in that kind of lie so by not telling the truth is lying so i had to tell the truth and i've suffered the repercussions and and now i have wonderful friends of contact and I have, and the people who've known me and and rejected me, a lot of them come back around. And so, um, so you're not sorry okay. you wrote it. So that's good. Yeah. Um, you know, you brought up the hybrid children that you were in the breeding program, and I know um, I was in the Pal Talk chat room after your show with Robert Miles Monday night. I thought I was getting there on time, but I got the ending time, so I didn't get to hear it. But there were still some people in the chat in the chat room there, and um, I know uh, one of the criticisms were was that you named such a high number of of hybrid children that they just didn't see any way that that was possible. So can you explain that? I don't know what number I I claimed. Um, I was told by someone involved in the abduction phenomena that they were told by the Grays that, that I had up to 300 uh, hybrid children. And I'm, I'm thinking, there's no way that's possible. That's impossible. How does anyone, a woman doesn't have that many eggs to begin with? And then they were saying, but you don't understand their technology. What if they could just take one of your eggs and split it 300 times? If they could, take, if they could do something like that. I mean, if they're creating hybrid races, they have abilities that, that we don't know about. And I thought, well, you know, that could be possible. Um, I've, you know, I've been taken into rooms, and I've been told that these children were mine. I don't know if they were mine or not. Um, I have, I have th three or four very distinct memories of, you know, this is your baby. I had, uh, you know, one daughter. I, I don't. Her name is April. Um, and I saw her when she was very young, and then when she was 13, um, I saw a couple of other young female children when they were very, very young. Um, I, I, so I, I think whatever I, if I was naming numbers, it was something that I'd heard because I have no idea how many children I have. I just know that I've been taken over and over again, and I've been asked to hold babies and nurse babies and, 
you know, play with babies, and um, and I didn't know if they were mine or not, but a couple of them I did because April looked like it looked exactly like me. And so, so another abductee told you that a gray told them that you might have had three hundred. Yes. Who can you tell us who that abductee was that told you this? Can I, I what? Can you tell us who that was that told you this? No, I don't think so. I thought they <laughs> I, might be I'm in the book, too. <laughs> no, if they were in the book, I, I would definitely, you know, say it. But I don't I don't want to betray any confidence here. And okay. I don't want to embarrass any, anybody. So, no, um, I don't know. But, you know, I, I do know that um, there was a, a gentleman named Jesse who was in my first abduction group. I, I, I had a group of people that I met with for a while, contactees, and he said, and he's been on YouTube and, you know, interviewed by Whitley Strieber, and he said that he was on a table and um, a, a string of little hybrid children walked in the room. Uh, I believe he said there was something like eight lined up alongside the, the wall that walked up to him one to one, uh, one at a time and said, you know, thank you and he knew that they were all his his children. So, you know, it would be possible for a man to, of course, have tons and tons of hybrid children. Mm-hmm. You know, human males can have males can have tons and tons of children. So with the technology the aliens have, who knows? There's someone in the chat room that um, wants to know, uh, they have a question here, and it's uh, mm-hmm. New York Lily. And she says that a lot of what you say is uh, sounds like uh, some writings of Dr. David Jacobs, and she wants to know if you've ever been hypnotized by him. <laughs> no, I've never been hypnotized by David Jacobs. By anyone? I had, uh, yes, I actually did go, uh, you know, most of my experiences I said were conscious, but there were a few um, gaps in a couple of my abductions that I really wanted to fill in. So I went to Yvonne Smith back back in the day, 15 years ago, and she put me through, I don't know, three or four regressions that I remember. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she was phenomenal. She was just absolutely wonderful. And um, it did. It filled in the gaps of those experiences, and I was uh, very, very healed after uh, those regressions. So... Um, yeah, I have been regressed, but that was that was you know what my book was based on. Mhm. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I didn't think you had had uh, worked with David Jacobs because I saw some stuff going on about Facebook on Facebook about Emma Woods, and I know she's yes. very grateful to you. Um, uh, she has it uh, a, a thank you posted on her website for your courage and uh, for uh, bringing some uh, ethical issues to the right. forefront. And um, I didn't follow that real closely, but I know she thought she had been, uh, how would you say that, led with the questioning? or uh, um, Well, you know. Kind of had I, ideas I really planted. You know, I, I really don't want to get into the to David's story um, because 
it's really heartbreaking for me because I, I was, you know, on the circuit with David when I wrote my first book, and he's contributed so much to the field. Um, but something went went astray with the, this one relationship, and um, and it's all available if anybody wants to, uh, you know, Google and that story is available for them to study if they want to study it. But um, okay. I'd rather just. Well, somehow you you helped her out because I saw where she said that she was very grateful to you, which I thought was nice. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, knowing that regressions and, and I know that it doesn't take, anybody can be a regressionist. It doesn't take any kind of degree. It doesn't take any kind of training. Anybody can say I'm a hypnotherapist. And, um, and when you're alone in a room, or, you know, alone communicating with someone uh, and you're you're vulnerable because, you know, you've been abducted and you don't know what's going on and you don't understand the situation, um, it's, it's uh, uh, it could be a very dangerous place to be. So uh, what I wanted to do is I just, I, I, I think there should be regulation. Somehow we have to come up with regulations for, uh, you know, regressions of, of abductees, there's, there's got to be a way to protect people um, who are going through this already traumatic scenario to have um, people with their own agendas or uh, who don't have the knowledge or the ability or the understanding to really deal with abductees. Well, I've right thought now, at, the, anybody, at, at the very least you should have someone with you as a witness and you should have it videotaped. I, I think that those are both excellent ideas. I believe that absolutely. It's just like okay. going to a doctor, a woman that, yeah. Yeah. Um, we've just got about one minute left before the break. We'll, uh, we'll, we're okay. going to take a 10-minute break here, and uh, okay. we'll be uh, back in about 10 minutes for the second half of the Joiner Report. Thank you very much.
radio program that focuses on the deeper aspects of the UFO topic? Would you like to explore the facts and truths of what ufology and UFO research are all about? Then, join us here every Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network for Eye to the Sky, UFO Synopsis, with your host, D. Andrew. magical month highlighted at the very end by Halloween. Some would think that Halloween is the most paranormal of holidays and while we can debate whether or not it is, we all love some laughter and fun. Bobbing for apples and trick-or-treating, pumpkins, jack-o'-lanterns, the smell of baking apples, shot corn, wreaths of wheat, hay rides, cow tipping, strange scary monsters, goblins, ghosts, and witches of every sort, all are a part of our collective memories of this month. Stay tuned to the Paranormal Radio Network and don't miss the magic of this month. A radio program that looks at the UFO topic from a fresh perspective. Sound interesting? Then join us here on the UFO Paranormal Radio Network every Friday evening at 11 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central 4, The Joiner Report, hosted by journalist and researcher Angela Joyner. International Community for Alien Research, www.icar1.com. I should know, I'm Irish. Are you a fan of the unknown? Do you constantly watch the skies, wondering if there's something out there? Fear of things going bump in the night? This radio brings you first into the world of the paranormal with the latest news and interviews with the paranormal elite. With hosts Jordan Klein and Nick Queen, you are sure to be consumed in the world of ghosts, UFOs, cryptozoology, conspiracy theories, and the unknown. So check out Whiskers Radio every Tuesday night, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 to 7 Central. And give us a call, 1-66-514-1600. Visit us at www.whispersradio.com. Do you like to have questions about everything? Would you like to escape from your proverbial box? Just leap out and explore our world in ways you've never imagined? You can have that opportunity. As we grow and expand, new features will be added, allowing you to experience radio programming at a fresh new level. I invite you to join me. 
November Hansen, host of Voice of the People. Together, we can expand our horizons and peer into multifaceted possibilities. This program will broadcast live Saturday evenings on the Paranormal Radio Network. Samhain Halloween Ritual Month has been summoned forth, celebrating Halloween all month long with special fiendish guests and topics ranging from the occult to face-to-face encounters with Bigfoot to time traveling, ghost hunting, and demonology, ending on the 30th with our special Halloween panel telling tales of fright. Tune in Saturday, 10 p.m. Central at the Church of Mavis Radio Show, hosted by Jeffrey Pritchett and Guy Weddle, brought to you by Paranormal Radio Network. Check out our forum at MavisIncarnate.com. to UFO Undercover Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern with your host, Joe Montaldo right here on the Paranormal Radio Network. Good evening and welcome to this week's worldwide broadcast of The Joiner Report. Now here's your host, Angela Joyner. Hello and welcome to the second half of the Joyner Report at WPRNFM New Orleans and at ParanormalRadioNetwork.com on this Halloween weekend. Um, tonight my guest is Kim Carlsberg and we have been talking about her new book, The Art of Close Encounters, a very beautiful book. Um, with 150 stories, each illustrated. Uh, I believe it's a full-page illustration on each story. And um, it's uh, being sold as a coffee table book. Um, welcome back, Kim. Hello. Nice little break. And uh, while I'm thinking about it, let's go ahead and tell people where they can buy The Art of Close Encounters. How do they order it? Now, that's a really good idea. <laughs> so I, I've made it pretty easy. Um, the name of the book is The Art of Close Encounters. You add a .com, and that's my website. So theartofcloseencounters.com, and I'm selling it strictly uh, through the website. I'm not going to be selling in the stores. I will be selling at conferences. Um, but basically, you can get it at my website. You can go there and learn a lot about it. I've got examples of the work. In the book, in the book, I have examples of how it's laid out, um, and I also have a Facebook page that is the Art of Close Encounters. So if you okay. want to look that up, a lot of the art in the book is at the Facebook page, um, but the stories aren't there. So if you want the stories, stories are great. You have to just like I told you, I'm stories. yeah, I'm putting it on my Christmas list um, now. If somebody uh, orders, how long will it take them to receive it? Right now the book is 
finished. Like I said, I just got the first copy in my hand yesterday, and it's, it's just phenomenally beautiful. Um, it is, because of the extents of the book, it had to be printed in China with all that color. So um, it, it will take about three to four weeks to get here from China. I plan on being in um, back in L.A. at the Long Beach Harbor on the, before the first, the last week of November, uh, to pick up the books and, and bring them back to where I'm staying now. And I will start shipping at that point. So I'm telling people ship date is probably uh, December 1st. So it should be plenty plenty of time for Christmas. Um, and most people that are buying the book, I'm noticing they're buying more than one. So I can see that they want to keep one and give one away. And uh, you can order as many as you want. I've got the shipping prices as low as they can go. And and the price of the book, uh, um, you know, being an artist and photographer, I've purchased a lot of fine art books in my time. And um, the price of this book is is really a deal for this type of book. It's, it's How much 30, is it? Uh, 30, it's thirty four ninety five. And, you know, equivalent books can go for $79 if you go into, you know, any of the bookstores. So... People will be real. I think they'll be really happy at the quality of the book. Well, you're uh, able to keep a, the price down selling it that way, and uh, um, right. that's good. In this day and time, it's particularly good. But uh, so you're no longer in California, right? Well, I, you know, uh, the Great Depression affected me like it did everybody else, and um, I lost my house in California, and I had a couple of uh, little homes back here in the Midwest that I rushed back here to try to save, which. Um, I didn't succeed, so I'm I'm here. I have family here, and I'm comfortable here for now. It's a good place for me to be to launch the book. I have a lot of support, so I'm going to stay here for a while and see how my my thin California blood can handle uh, another Midwestern winter. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it, it's really actually it's it's kind of nice. You know, I I spent 35 years on the beach in California, and uh, I'm a California beach girl. There's there's no doubt about that, but. It is nice to be back here right now and see the leaves turning and and feel the space. You know, when you live at the beach in California, the property values are so high that you know you can reach out and touch your neighbor. And there's um, there's just you don't have that feeling of, of freedom, that feeling of space that you get here in the Midwest. And I'm really enjoying driving down the roads in the country and and taking, you know, in a deep breath and seeing horses in the fields and, you know, things that I've missed for a long time. So, yeah, I'm so I'm sitting here just waiting for, uh, you know, God to point her finger where she wants me next. Well, I was talking to Larry Lowe uh, last night, and you and I are both friends with Larry and talk to him occasionally. Yes. And uh, yes. he, he was telling me that Neil Gould... Um, used a piece of art from your book for the cover art for um, his new book, uh, Close Encounters of the ADHD Kind? He did. What is that about? Roy Young Young was the artist, and um, Tonya and Maidenfield, is that the correct? She's going to kill me. Um, It's her story, and it's his artwork. And Tony was one of the ones that that was kind of hesitant in the beginning, and and her story was so beautiful, and she's so sweet, and her energy was just so delightful. I said, oh, please, please share this, because it was one of the few stories in the book about children, 
and it was about her childhood. And the illustrations had children in it. And um, it's these uh, two beautiful uh, images of kids in a field and the craft coming over and they're floating up to, you know, the bottom of the craft. And she talks about how she was tutored, you know, by these uh, angelic aliens, you know, throughout her childhood. And Larry contacted me and um, um, he said, I'm, you know, I need, a, I need an image that has children in it. So I said, well, I just happen to have a couple of beautiful images. Let me see if, you know, Roy would be objective, would object to uh, it being used for the cover of Neil's book. And, of course, um, everybody got together and we're all on the same course and trying to achieve the same thing. So now we have another beautiful art piece on the cover of another UFO book. This is the year for UFO books. Um, and so we're just scratching each other's backs, <laughs> helping <laughs> to spread the word. Um, we have a question from the chat room, and Goss wants mm-hmm. to know, are there any illustrations in the book uh, by you, or d- does the book only contain artwork by other people? And I think we already discussed that you did some artwork for some other people, right. but is there anything of yours in there for your story? I, I think I have about 20 pieces. I have not counted. Mm-hmm. But there were about 20 stories that came in without art, and they were great stories. And all I could do was do my best to illustrate that story for that person. So there's a percentage of my work in the book, but uh, by and large it's, it, it came from other people. There, there are a few people that had other, others do their art for them. So, um, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the story right. and it's illustrated. So, um, uh, I'm, um, somebody, it might have been Larry that told me that you had uh, uh, new artwork for well-known cases like Travis Walton or Fife Symington. And uh, is that right? Actually, Larry Lowe did one of the most beautiful images in, in the book. Larry's very left brain, very um, meticulous. He studies anything before he delves into it. He tries to get all the details exact, and he illustrated what um, Symington would have seen by okay, his, uh, maybe that's what, what it was he, right. So that, that's an incredible image of a triangular craft coming over the mountains in Phoenix. Um, let's see. What what was the other image we were discussing? Travis Walton. Oh, Travis. Travis, that boy. I contacted him a year ago, and he's up there in Snowflake, Arizona, where I have land, where, you know, it's the, it's the abduction zone. And he... Um, I don't think he's really into, uh, you know, being online. I know that he, I noticed that he didn't come on Facebook until just recently. And I sent him an invitation uh, to be in the book, and I didn't hear, just knew he had to be in the book. So I reserved a page, and I went to his website, and this is the power of visualization. I took the image off of his website, and I put it in the book, and um did a synopsis of his story, 
actually Larry helped me with that as well, um, that would fill in one page because there's a lot of his story all over the Internet. It's, you know, mm-hmm. most Travis's story. So it, it was just more to honor him. And so I, I put that in and I, I sent off an invitation and months and months and months go by and I didn't hear anything. And then at the very last minute I sent him an email and I said, Travis, I don't know if you've gotten my other communications. I said, but you're meant to be in this book, and here's your double-page spread, and if you like it, just say yes. <laughs> and, he, and he contacted me, and he said, you did a beautiful job, because I love the layout. Yes, absolutely. So Travis is also in the book. Daryl Sims is in the book. There's a, there are a lot of people that, um, you know, if you're in the community, you'll recognize. Um, Melinda, Le- Melinda Leslie's in the book. Um, you know, so there's some surprise, little surprise cameos. Well, how there. did you how did you uh, choose the cases to include, and and what did you leave out that you would have liked to have put in? Okay, those are two separate questions. Give me one at a time because it's late. And I'm tired. How okay. did you so choose the, <laughs> the cases to to put in? How did you decide? There, very yeah. good. Okay, so so earlier you said, I said that um, it was an encyclopedia. I said my dream for the book um, is that it could come close to being um, an encyclopedia or a reference guide to contact, that I could hand this book to anyone and say, this is what's going on. This covers just about all of the different aspects of the contact phenomenon, sightings, abduction, contact, uh, psychic uh, connections, so on and so forth. And the last chapter was actually kind of a catch-all of stories that I found fascinating that weren't actually ET stories, but I just had to put them in the book. So that's kind of an, an extraordinary, I call it extraordinary encounter art. Um, so what I did was I, I made sure the first chapter of the book was, was the forensics so people could see the cross-section of aliens. And then I went, I went into sightings. And as I did, I, I, it was choosing the general categories. So if I had, you know, five or six illustrations of a triangular craft, you know, I, I had to choose the one that I, I had to choose one. And so I, I would choose the one that was, that had the most powerful story. Um, you know, if I had two or three images that were discs, well, I, you know, I had to choose one with the most powerful story, or vice versa. So uh-huh. um, it was really just trying to get get the best image and the best story together to represent whatever it was that I was, uh, you know, trying to express. Um, so Were there so there's not no repetition. There's there's not a lot of repetition in the book. Were there uh, ones that you wanted to include but could not? Uh, heartbreaking story. There's one I, mean, I wanted to include. Uh, there was one I wanted to include with all my heart, and for some, just the, the fact that I was moving while I was creating the book and moving files around, um, it, it, it didn't get in the, the final book. So, um, yeah, there were there were a few pieces that kind of broke. My well, heart. tell us it, about that story that you had to leave out. Maybe can you do that? I well, I didn't. I didn't have to leave out. Leave it out. It was actually left out. It disappeared from the book. It, it, it's bizarre. I had it laid out in the book, 
and someone, um, I was having a conversation with someone recently, and I was talking about this incredible image and this incredible story, and I, I went to look at for it in a book, and it wasn't there. Oh. So it was just one of those, yeah. <laughs> so I had to contact this person, this sweet, sweet person, and say, um, his name is Andrew Pierce. He's actually got a, uh, an image that he did for someone else in the book. So at least he's represented in the book once. Um, and I said, Andrew, uh, you know, we're going to have to get together at a dinner party so you can just kick me under the table a hundred times for this terrible, uh, you know, mistake that's happened. And I said, and I'm a double Virgo, and things like that just don't happen in my life very often. I'm very meticulous. And I said, so, you know, maybe there's a reason. Maybe, you know, there are higher powers that are at work here. But um, What was the story? So, you Do you know, remember it? Yeah, you know, more the story, it was just the innocence in, of, of the story and the beauty of the image. He was walking his dog in the mountains, um, and you know, Andrew's not from this country. He may be maybe Australian. I don't know. I've got a lot of uh, Australian stories and a lot of uh, uh, British stories. So, you know, there's stories from all over the world. But um, the image was incredible, and it was just how he was taking, you know, a, a walk in the mountains uh, with his dog, and as he came around the bend, there's this, this gorgeous disc covering over the treetop, and he said, and it was like the two of them were kind of shocked to see each other, and he didn't know who was more shocked, him or the UFO. <laughs> and uh, after, you know, it wasn't a profound story. It was just very, you know, sweet, heartwarming. Um you know, I don't. I don't think since I knew I knew that I was going to do another book. It just calls for it. You know, there's close encounters too. It will happen. And so, if there are any stories that didn't make it into the first book, they will definitely make it into the second book. You know, if they um, if they're appropriate, if they fill the space. Problem is, you know, they've got you've got one page for the text, and you've got one page for the art. Mm-hmm. And uh, 550 words does, doesn't go very far. No. So you have to choose your, choose your words carefully to get a story. That's like a newspaper story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the well, stories have to be. And I did a lot of editing. Oh, my goodness. Did I do a lot of editing? <laughs> For uh, people that are wondering, and, and you've talked about how many different species, are we going to see the species that we hear about all the time, like the grays, the Nordics, the tall whites, the mantis insect things, or or is it going to be things we've it. never seen before or heard of before? Well, I think in general it's... It's what we know of, but what I have here, and this is this is pretty fascinating. Of course, we've got the Nordics, we've got the reptilians, we've got the Greys. Uh, you know, we have uh, the mantis. Like you said, I, I don't want to repeat everything. Um, one of David's illustrations is the, the the glowing goblin, which is absolutely perfect for a Halloween weekend. Um, this was this is an image of a being that's uh, almost pure white, translucent, huge ears, um, round eyes on the side of its head. And this came from an illustration. He illustrated this from uh, an event that happened in Kentucky in 1995. 
and he said these creatures were uh, bipedal and, and they would drop to all fours and run. And uh, he said they, they would climb trees and, and bullets didn't seem to phase them. And they glow. They have a, a, a goblin, glowing goblin. And then um, I'm, uh, we have the, the, the little squatty blues, which I believe Whitley Strieber mentioned in some of his first experiences. Uh, there's a, what I find fascinating, here he is, the reptilian gray. So this is an image of a, of a gray. The form, the shape of the head, the neck, the body is absolutely that of a gray. But he's covered in scales like a reptilian. And he oh. has slanted reptilian eyes. Uh-huh. So I put this in, and I put it in between a gray and a reptilian to show how this is working, how evolution seems to come about <laughs> by combining these different species. And, you know, I said to Miles, I said, and he said, well, how many different species are there? And I said, well, if I'm looking at a gray covered with scales, is that a, is that a hybrid or is that a new species? So wow. I think it would... Yeah, it would be very difficult to determine how many species because there's just so many cross breeds of everything. Um, and and in my experiences on the ships, you know, I was taken into rooms and I saw what uh, you know I believe were I saw everything from like I said, ten percent human, ninety percent alien, to ninety percent alien, ten percent human. Is that right? Did I say that correctly? Just the opposite. Right. You know, some were some were almost the hybrids were almost alien, and then, and then some were all, so close to human that you knew they weren't human. Well, and, uh, for your own personal experiences, were with the grays, right? Yes, the okay. grays, the and, grays uh, and and a mantis and, and what? light beam, the the praying mantis. Okay. Yeah, and I believe that that was the one that was in charge. That that's the one that seemed to, you know, uh, have the most control. Certainly had the most control over me. Um, there were short grays, tall grays, uh, nine foot. Just that they were like waterfalls of, of light and energy. Just fell in light beam. Um, I had an experience with the shapeshifter. Um, let's see. I was, and I always talk about the little mounds of dough on the floor that emanated, like, this loving energy, like, I thought it was the alien's cats or dogs. I thought that they were the alien's pets because they were just lined up along the walls of the craft, just resting. So, resting? <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, if your cat was curled up in a ball on the floor, that's what it reminded me of. It was like, oh, that's, it was just a peaceful gentle energy coming off of this entity, this almost formless entity, and uh, I just got the, the impression it was like my cat, like they were just companions of the greys. Wow. They're in, yeah. but, but did they seem like animals or? No, they, they seem like just conscious, formless matter. <laughs> Mounds of matter with consciousness. Well, that's strange. Right? Isn't you know, it? I, I, it is. 
it's all so strange. So. Well, are you glad your abductions are over? Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's just, you know, I didn't, I didn't sleep for years. The first way, the first way I fought abduction was to just stay up all night. Because mm-hmm. typically back then it was called the 330 syndrome. Abductees always knew that 3.30 comes around, you better be awake or they're going to get you. So, you know, I would just stay awake until the sun came up, and then I felt comfortable enough to go to sleep because typically they don't they they didn't bother me during the day. I was uh-huh. not one of these people that would be driving down the road and be abducted. It didn't happen that way. It always happened when I was in my bed trying to go to sleep. Um, and they would, you know, they would do their tricks early in the evening. And and I would recognize it. You know, I, I'd start getting tired. I'd be out to dinner with friends, and I'd start getting really tired really fast. And I went, oh, I just, I just got to go home and go to bed. And then I went, oh, oh, I know why. They want me to be there. So, you know, I would just fight it. Um, so, yeah, I'm absolutely, joy, you know, overjoyed that the abductions are over. Um, but I, I'm also, you know, grateful for the lessons that uh, they taught me. And I'm grateful that I know the truth about the universe because, um, you know, uh, Dal- my friend Dalton, who has a story in the book, an incredible story, Dalton Bagby, um, he is a, uh, a, he was a Marine and he was, uh, they were doing night training um, at, was it Kirk- Kirtland? Let me see here. Kirtland Air, Air Force Base in Albuquerque. Kirkland, yeah. And during the, yeah, so he was he was doing some night training, and he wandered out of their area where he was supposed to be, and he found himself on this mountainside, and he said he looked out and he saw, you know, the thing that took course, um, these UFOs hovering over the base below between this these two mountains that were that were. How do you describe it? Machines that that were alive. They were changing form. They were changing shape. He said they, they were silent. And he said, uh, at that moment, he said, I realized I knew I knew nothing about the universe. He said, I felt so small. I felt like an insect. And um, at the, the end of the story, he said, but um, I might quote him here. Give me truth over bliss. I demand it. I need to know I'm not insane. Mm. So, you know, it's. it's I, I'm glad I know the truth. I'm glad I know where. What is the we truth? Are. What is the truth of the universe? I want to know because I don't know. That it's infinite, and we're dust in the wind. <laughs> we're stardust in the wind, and we're, we're arrogant to think that we're the only ones. And this earth is occupied by by many different species, that, and we might be the visitors here. You know, they said that the reptilians have been living inside this earth for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, and maybe some of the greys as well, um, and they created us, and, and, you know, we're all living here together, and it is a huge universe, and I say it's an infinitely uh, occupied field of existence. So, so we just need to get, get over the fact that we're, we're not it. We're not it, huh? Well, we're Demi not, not has 
ask a question. She wants to know how often you were taken. Was it once a week, every night, two times a year? What do you? What was it? It was several times a month. It was sometimes several times a week. I had, you know, I've had military abductions as well as alien abductions, and when it got to the end, I had, a, I had a, I had worse, worse experience with the military than, than I did with the aliens. And yet, the aliens and the military were in the same room together during my experiences. So, um, you know, it was, at the very end, I had had uh, an abduction by, by the military one night, an abduction by the aliens the next night, and that was, the next day was the day I decided that, that it absolutely had to stop. And that's Well, you, you have stop, said your abductions, what they did to you was painful. So was the military abductions, were they pain, more painful? Um, you know, there was a particular military, oh, I don't know if I ever blended this part of it, it's so convoluted. They are more cruel mentally. More cruel? Cruel, cruel, yeah. I was very, after my last military abduction, I, I didn't have clear recollection of the entire time I was with them, but I know that it must have been horrific because I was I was desperately depressed for weeks afterwards, and that didn't happen with a, a typical abduction. I'd be tired, I'd be mad, I'd be you know confused, um, but I was never desperately desperately depressed and, and suicidal. Um, so that that's my conclusion. I know I. I I've been subject to a lot of nasty things that our government has mm. access to. So. How many times do you, they're asking now, how many times were you taken overall by aliens? Do you know? 200, 100? I would say hundreds of times. Hundreds of you times. Know, if, if indeed it is genetic and if indeed it started it, 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 when I was an embryo or at birth, um, I didn't have a conscious conscious experience until I was in. I'm not very good with math, but I was born. I'm 55. I was born in 55 uh, until 1988. It, it had to have been occurring all that time, and then in the seven years that I was aware of it, you know, a hundred, couple hundred experiences. So it's just a lot happens a lot in an abductee's life. And you you weren't taken just by the greys, you were taken by a variety of species, is that correct? No, I was always taken by the greys, but okay. other species were, were around when I was on the craft, like I said. the uh, Oh, the so they all work together? They all work together, those little buggers. Yeah, they've got a plan. Mm. They're they're working their plan, and and I believe it's to save Mother Earth. You know that that was quote unquote. Um, they said it is time to save Mother Earth from her inhabitants, and I know they weren't talking about the animals and the plants. So well, hybrid, how how do leaves us? How do hybrid children help save Mother Earth? Or, well, I mean, how does that do anything? There's lots a lot of humans here that need some uh, schooling about that. Um, well, I can only make assumptions because I don't know. But if indeed they are making 
hybrid children, and in my experience, I've seen them, held them, I know they're mine, and, you know, hundreds, thousands of other people have to. They're, they're doing it for a reason. And if they're telling me it is time to save Mother Earth from her inhabitants, I'm assuming that they would probably be planning to integrate them into our society to help raise consciousness and save the planet. Um, so if they have other... Are the hybrid children going to be um, really brilliant, uh, exceptionally smart, where they can come up with uh, answers on uh, free energy and all that yes. stuff you hear about? Yes. I, yes, I believe that, absolutely. When I was with April, my daughter, my oldest daughter, and we telepathically linked up, I, I don't know how, how I know, but I just knew she was a thousand times smarter than I would ever be. And, and I could tell that her emotions were tender and she had the intellect of the grave and she had the human emotion, but she didn't know what to do with the human emotion. She, it was, she, she was very fragile, uh, in that aspect because here they are growing up, you know, hybrid children half human. Humans are very emotional and they're growing up in a gray environment that doesn't know how to nurture that emotion or deal with that emotion. So um, I believe that they're going to be, uh, by my experience with my one daughter, April, if she is an example of what's going on, they are extremely intelligent and they are emotional and she was very sweet. It wasn't like she had any kind of, um, you know, negative energy. Did you touch her? I did not. Oh, excuse me. Yes, I did. I, I, I held her when she was a baby. Okay. I didn't touch her when she was when she was thirteen. Um, did she recognize you as her mother? Oh God, yes. Uh, there's a poem. I, I, I wrote a poem about her in in my first book, and you know, it, it's it's tel- when you're telepathically connected to someone, um, you feel everything they feel, and you th- you know you you know their thoughts, and um, I'm sorry, what was the question Something about her? If she recognized her? you as her mother. Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and she, and I, and I would, would try not to cry because I know that I've been taken on a ship and had a, an ongoing relationship with her and, not, and I don't remember a lot of it. And, you know, she's my daughter. I love her. You, you, you have a daughter. It doesn't matter if they're hybrid or human. You love them, and, and I, I love her. And, and I had all this emotion because I couldn't be with her. And she felt it and immediately got scared. And she said, oh, my God, what if this happens to me? And I, and I got this whole scenario uh, of her imagining herself growing up and, and having her children taken from her. And then I tried to explain to her telepathically that... Um, that it didn't matter because um, even if I never got to see her again, she was, it was the greatest gift, gift and the greatest joy I've ever known in my life. And, it, it, and it's worth, if she was recognizing pain, it was worth all the pain. Well, and if you've stopped your abductions, then you're not going to see her again. That's right. That's so true. And that was the, one of the hardest decisions that I ever made because I knew when I stopped it, that I, I would be giving away I would my right to see my daughter. 
And you thought she was about 12 or 13? Mm-hmm. She was like a clone of me when I was 13 years old. So well, she was a little bit are the hybrid children already out in uh, the public? Or are they already mixed in? They must you be know, if they've been going away, on 60 years. <laughs> I, ha I have been away for 15 years. I haven't done a lot of researching. I've heard a lot of stories. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine they're not here. We're here. The greys are here. The other alien species are here. Why wouldn't they be here? Right. Well, and if it's their plan to integrate, you know, this upgraded version of humanity, they would be here, and they would be doing it the way I suspect they're doing it, secretly. The well, way you, said, everything. you said April looked like a clone of you at that age, so she didn't have uh, larger eyes than normal or anything like that, like... I've heard Stan Romanek uh, talk about his hybrid children, and I've seen a couple of pictures that he says are of them, and their eyes mm -hmm. sort of look larger. Mm -hmm. But um, she she looked just exactly like you did. Yeah, she did. She looked so she looked so human. You would, you would never know that she was a hybrid. And there are a lot of children like that. And then there are a lot of children that look, you know, half and half. And there are a lot of children that look almost. Uh, like a gray, but they have human characteristics as well. So mm -hmm. there's every combination. So you think if you were uh, going through Walmart or uh, Saks Fifth Avenue or you were uh, watching a parade downtown, if you saw a hybrid, do you think you would recognize it? I, I do. I think I have recognized a few hybrids recently. Just recently, where six, six, eight, six eight months. Um, <laughs> uh, well, this is a kind of a funny story. If you picture, they're taking these children who have been raised in a ship, and they're dropping them off, off you know, here, here on Earth. They're not going to have a history. They're not going to have a high school diploma. They're not going to have any history of going to college. So my theory is you're going to find them in everyday jobs that do not require uh, a, a history or an education, uh, you know, work history. So I think you will find them in places where I think that I have seen, too. I think I saw one in a college junior, and I think I saw one in a Kinko's. And the one in the Kinko's, this, this was actually a long time ago, um, I had been working on a project, uh, a photography project for my studio, and they had gotten it wrong three times. I went to Kinko's, and I tried to get a copy of something, a book, and, it, and it, they got it wrong three times. And I was very, very upset. And I walked in, and I threw this book down, and I said, how many times is it going to take for you to get this right? And this tall, thin uh, young man looked at me, and I felt this energy that I was giving off thrown back at me, intensified, Ten times, and I got sick to my stomach. I got dizzy. I turned around and I walked out of the room. Now you can attribute that to a lot of different things, but I would imagine that's the kind of powers that they're going to have. And and I suspected that it was that he was probably a hybrid. The other one, the other girl I saw, um, 
uh, there's there's something that happens just within con- you know between contactees. We recognize each other. We just there's something that I know when somebody's had contact. It's just you know ESP, I guess. I don't know. It's just a recognition, something in their eyes that they've had contact. Most of the time, I know immediately. So I suspect that uh, I'm going to have that same kind of recognition of the hybrids. So this girl handed me, I was going through Carl's Jr., and she handed me this bag of food, and I looked at her, and she looked at me, and our eyes locked on, and there was that connection, that telepathic connection that you get with the grays, that that knowingness, and and we both just smiled and kind of went, hmm, okay, nice meeting you, and we, and it was it was wonderful. We just we both just laughed. Wow, well, think okay. you want? Doesn't that make you want to go back and talk to her? You know, when she's getting off work or something, and say, "Hey, I just felt a little connection with you. You want to tell me a little about yourself?" And I'm so and so. Yeah, well, that I just, that was when I just left California, and I'm in Missouri now, so that's not possible. Oh, I you wish. You know the high turnover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think contactees will recognize hybrids. Well, and you say contactees recognize each other, so. Have you ever seen anybody out and about that you really didn't know before, but you knew you knew them from a ship or something? Hmm. I don't have that recollection. No. Okay. Well, there's another question in the uh, uh, chat room, and Sherlane wants to know, does it bother you to tell this story over and over during this book promotion? Um, no, because uh, this is the fun part. What bothered me was staying up 20 hours a day for the last year trying to get the physical book done. So this is this is the fun part, getting to share it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you are you already know so a- many people in the field that it's easy for you because you've been on lots of radio shows and you've been on lots of television shows. So, and you have that outgoing personality. Well, thank you. It was a long time ago, though, and it's, you know, things have changed, and this is a different story. I, I can't separate, the funny thing about it is I can't separate my, sto- my story from the book because the book came about, The Art of Close Encounters came about because of my first book, because of my experiences. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's bringing up a lot of the past, and, and that's odd, I find, um, I find the memories, you know, I'm 55, I find the memories aren't as clear as I would think they would be for something as profound as, you know, my abduction experiences. So it's like anything, you know, experiences, memories fade away and uh, you well, become a different person. There's another question here um, from Kai Truthseeker. And uh, he wants to know, you've said your abductions are over now, that you've stopped them. He wants to know how... How that you can be sure that they've stopped? How uh, because you know could they have manipulated uh, some other way and they're still taking you and you don't know it? <laughs> okay, are you sure that's not Joe Montalvo talking? <laughs> no, that's Kai True Seeker. He's in okay, Kentucky. So I know him. <laughs> so the answer to that question is anything is possible, but. I I am absolutely sure to my bones that they don't take me anymore. 
and that they stopped because I, I, I always, you know the clues and you know the post-effects of abduction. I always knew when they were coming because they're telepathic and they have to think about you when they're coming to, to abduct you. So you get a telepathic link-up. They always try to make you tired. They try to paralyze you. Um, there's, you know, the atmosphere in the room changes. There's all this stuff that goes on before an abduction that, that are clues. And then there, then there are the abductions. And I know what happens during the abductions. You know, I've had enough of those. And then, you know, the next, after an abduction, if you've had one, so there'll be clues on your body, the way you feel. You know, you haven't had any sleep. There'll be marks. There'll be uh, memories. I don't have any of that anymore. Okay. So I, and I, I sleep at night sometimes. And Demi ahead, wants to know, do what? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Next, next question. Demi, Demi wants to know, um, how do you handle people that don't believe you? I don't handle them. I, it's, it doesn't make any difference to me because I understand it's, it's just their ignorance. They haven't had an experience. They don't know what's going on in the world. And... It's just, it doesn't bother me at all. Well, you know, that's so funny because, like, my dad, um, my dad is a retired uh, truck driver. And he's in his 70s now. And uh, he he doesn't have a computer, internet, doesn't care about any of that newfangled stuff, as he would say, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. if he were to hear you and me talking, if... For some reason, he heard this radio show. He's never heard my show. He would think that I had absolutely lost my marbles, you know? Mm -hmm. I, girl, how could you mm -hmm. even think about talking about stuff like that? Didn't I teach you anything? I can just hear him. <laughs> but, you know, cute. and I was talking to a friend the other day, and I said, it just feels like that everything that I was taught growing up is turning out to be wrong. Like, I was taught that angels and demons are real, but aliens aren't. And um, it, I guess that is the Western uh, culture, but uh, I, I sometimes get kind of bogged down in that of, of like, well, okay, everything that I knew before has just been thrown in the pot, and it's all mixed up, and it's really hard to separate it all out. So a lot of people aren't going to believe you. You know, there's going to be those retired truck, truck drivers like my daddy that's going to go, well, that girl's off her rocker. And then he'd say the same thing about me if he really realized what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it really doesn't matter. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Um, and I, you know, I have a brother who's a truck driver, and I got to tell you, if your if your father's been on the road his whole life, I think he's probably some, seen some things out there on the road <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> he probably would never admit it. Exactly, because that you know that culture, his age, they wouldn't talk about it, even if they had seen it. No. Uh, Rixio wants to know this. She says, "What makes?" you think that the ETs were honest with you when they described their motives to you. Did they ever describe their motive to you? No, they didn't They didn't engage in much conversation. Um, but what they did do is they would put me into 
virtual reality scenarios that were absolutely, uh, you couldn't tell them from real life. And they would teach me things. And they would teach me by example. And so um, I don't think, I never, they don't talk to you. They don't talk to you. So they're not going to lie to you. They don't waste their breath. They don't waste their telepathy unless it's something very important. So, um, you know, one of the things that happened to me is I found myself in one of these virtual reality scenarios, and I was in a prison, and there was a woman in front of me. And I was running down the hall with this woman trying to escape from this prison. And she was telling me, come on, come on, we're going to escape. And it's absolutely real. And I'm like, no, what's going on? I don't understand. She said, we have to escape now. This is our only chance. As we turned the corner, there was a there was a human female guard, and she grabs this woman by the back of the neck and cracks her neck and kills her right in front of me. And at that moment, the scenario stopped, and I was in a, in a room full of gray aliens, and they were they were test I guess examining my emotions and my thoughts of what had just happened. And I was thinking, you know, that was the most horrible thing I've ever seen. And I turned my head. That's what it was. When this woman cracked this other woman's neck and killed her, I turned my head away and looked the other direction because it was too painful to look at it and it was too much for me to absorb. And when oh, the trial ended, yeah, so what they do is they do things by example. When they want to teach you something or tell you something or communicate, they do it in a way that you will never, ever forget it. So when the scenario stopped and I'm sitting in this room, you know, with these aliens, the telepathically they said to me, um, the lesson is if something evil is, is happening and you turn your head and look away, you are equally, equally as guilty as the one committing the crime. Really? So that's just so that's why I think they don't they don't lie. They don't have to. And a lot of the other contactees do think they lie. The ones that I've talked to, you know, think that they're very uh, devious, whatever. But everybody's experiences are so different. And now, you know, there's some contactees in the chat room, and um, oh, the questions they're asking now is um, how how did they smell? Did they have an odor? They're probably trying to test you, Kim. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. I've gotten this question many times. Uh, the answer is, I don't know how they smell. My first conscious abduction, I, I woke up, I was inside of an elevator. When this elevator door opened, that's when I was pushed into what I will term from now on the great room, the great room by Chuck Cromer. God bless his artistry. I smelled what I described as rotting organic matter. So if you know that smell, when, you know, vegetables or fruit or the earth, something is musky and, and rotting, that's the smell that I smell. I don't know if it was them or the environment. All right. Well, with that, we are out of time. And uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, remember that uh, you – God. Remember that you can uh, – uh, pick up Kim's book on the net. Uh, what is it? The Art of Close Encounters dot, dot com, right? 
correct. And uh, it's thirty-four ninety-five. Some people had thought it was much higher than that, so that that they're happy about that. They thought it was ninety. <laughs> so yeah, it, it really, like I said, it, it, it's a deal. It really is a deal. They'll be very happy. Well, again, thanks for coming on with me. You've been listening to the Joiner Report. Good night, and we'll see you next Friday night.